Wicked Cool. Feature alert. Hey there, podcast fans. Thanks for listening. Now, you can also reach out and send me a text message. On every episode at the top of the show notes, you'll see a link that says, send us a text message. Simply click it, write something super nice and sweet, and away we go. Also remember to please subscribe, share this podcast with a friend by telling them about it, and leave us a positive review, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast streaming service, or even on our website at www.afraidofnothingpodcast.com. Hey everybody, it's Bob Heskey. Before we kick off episode 14, I want to share some special news. The Afraid of Nothing documentary. That's right, the film that inspired this wicked good podcast is premiering on Vidispace on April 17th. That's V-I-D-I space. Don't know Vidispace? Get out from under a rock! Vidispace is the best subscription channel of paranormal content created by Nick Groff of Paranormal Lockdown and Ghost Adventures. Actress paranormal investigator Elizabeth Saint of Ghosts of Shepherdstown, Momo the Missouri Monster and Paranormal Lockdown, and Justin Narrigan. Try it out with a free trial and don't miss Afraid of Nothing, premiering on April 17th and available with your Vidi Space subscription after April 17th forever. And now, grab your favorite drink and chill out with episode 14. Featuring Stephanie Burke, a paranormal investigator with a special psychic gift. In a world where nothing is known, nothing is certain, reality is not real. Wake up! Be afraid. I'm Bob Heskey. Robert. The host with the ghost. This is my podcast, based on my paranormal documentary, Afraid of Nothing. Each episode, we talk to people who see life and the afterlife through a different lens. Join me. Who is this large man? And what's he doing in our bedroom? As we lift the veil and open our minds to see beyond our eyes lie, this is Afraid of Nothing. Nothing. Welcome, Stephanie Burke, a psychic medium. Now, those are two different capabilities. Could you kind of describe who you are and what those two capabilities are for our audience? Definitely. So a lot of people get them confused for one or the other, and it's happened forever. And it actually still happens today if you watch different TV shows, whether it be scripted, non-scripted, reality. Psychic means being able to read the energy of a person in the present tense. So anything about them, whether it be their energy or their future or past or present or whatever it might be, what's going on in their head right now, depending on what type of abilities that you do have, you can kind of go deep into that spectrum. And anything psychic phenomena can go from telepathy to psychometry to 
psychokinesis, anything like that. But when it comes to mediumship, mediumship is very different. Mediumship means strictly communicating with those that have passed on, whether that be a family member or you go to a place that is rumored to be haunted, you know, whatever spirits might be lying there. It's strictly communicating with those that have lived before and are no longer living. So what tools do you use? So when for like psychic, I would imagine that might be tarot cards and mediumship. I imagine that might be when you're also an investigator, a paranormal investigator. I imagine that might be going to a location and you kind of call on those capabilities. So I think it's probably the biggest joke amongst the people that I work closely with that they usually use me as their favorite tool in their ghost hunting toolbox, which makes everybody laugh at every lecture or event that I do. But as far as tools myself, I really do use just myself to do these things. So something as simple as tarot cards while doing um, card readings for people at different events, or if I have back-to-back rapid-fire readings, if I have like 20 or 25 of them in a row, then it makes more sense for me to use cards because it's a little bit of a crutch for me to kind of lean on. So that way I'm able to fly through them a lot faster. I don't need anything in order to do any readings because I can just look at someone and know exactly how they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're going through, anything that's going on in their life. It's always been like that for me. It's been very easy for me. I also am very empathic. So I'm able to pick up on their moods, pick up on their feelings and pick up on what it is that they're going through. So I don't necessarily need anything, but it is very helpful to have tarot cards, especially in a very large setting or like I said, a rapid fire setting where I can just kind of throw them down and Tarot cards don't tell me what it is that I need to know. It's more of an intuition tool. So it validates exactly what I'm hearing or exactly what I'm picking up on. So that way I can move faster. As far as mediumship goes, you asked what I use on a paranormal investigation. So that's kind of a whole separate level from what I would normally use. Mediumship is such a very specific thing, but at the same time, it's a very broad spectrum. So a lot of people receive things differently. I myself, I've been able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits since I was born. My earliest memory from my childhood was probably about 18 months old, and I remember communicating with the spirit then, and I just thought it was normal for everybody else. So I don't need anything. I can walk into a place, and I can actually physically see them, which isn't normal for most people that I've, I've come across or I've spoken to. So I can physically see them if they choose to show themselves and I'm able to point out where the energy is and I can tell you exactly what they're talking about or what it is that they're trying to convey, almost like a back and forth conversation. So I don't need any equipment um, or any tools to start up mediumship. It's just there. It's a part of who I am and I can't stop it. But I am a big fan of working with strictly spirit communication rather than ghost hunting equipment. Little known fact that people don't realize, I've been paranormal investigating professionally for more than half of my life. I grew up doing this from the time that I was a toddler until now. It was very normal in my family to uh, try to communicate with spirits or try to ghost hunt as people know it. But to be able to understand equipment or how to use something as simple as a K2 meter, recorder, millimeter, I know how to do all that. It's great to validate certain things, but I like to get deeper into the spirit communication aspects of things. I love doing experiments that make people walk away going, how in the world did that happen? Not, hey, this can be explained three different ways and I'm not sure how. It's, I want to know exactly how it works. And if I can't figure out a way to explain that away, then that's what really intrigues me. So I've done things such as table tipping professionally for more than 15 years. I absolutely love doing that, but it's an old form of spirit communication. I love using the Echo Vox and kind of doing a twist on what people know as the Estes method. So I kind of do my my own thing with it, which 
kind of took it to a different level for me because of my abilities. And that's been really profound in different investigations. But as far as mediumship goes, I can just do a walkthrough normally without any of that. And I can tell you exactly what's going on and what the spirits want, what they need and what they're asking for. So it's something that I love to do. I love to give a voice to the voices that have been forgotten or lost or help you know, reveal the mystery behind the history that's left behind. So when you enter a haunted location, I mean, a spirit box must be elemental because you get a couple words here and there. Do you kind of get like an onslaught of, of, of words at you that you would not normally get with a spirit box? So I can't say for sure what it is that others experience compared to what I experience. But the reason I chose to use EchoVox Aside from a regular spirit box, I think the probably the most popular one right now is the SB7 or SB11 that people are using. I don't, I mean, I remember the days where we would, you know, take the Radio Shack radios and manipulate them. Everybody knew how in order to make them a spirit box. I don't like to use those because they scroll through radio stations. And the entire point of using those spirit boxes was to listen to the white noise in between the words that you were getting to see if you heard any voices. Somehow that got twisted a long time and television shows putting out the wrong thing. And people just started to listen to the words that were coming over the radio and assuming that, you know, spirits were manipulating things to make a sentence. So what people do now with those is they do the exact same thing. If you're standing in Boston, where I'm assuming you're somewhere near Boston right now, I use that as an example all the time because that's near my hometown. And I would be listening to a spirit box and all of a sudden, you know, you'd say, where are we? And it would say Boston. Everybody would go nuts. They think it's the most authentic answer imaginable. They thought it was wonderful. Oh my God, they're speaking to us. Well, how many radio shows and sports casts are going over the radio waves right now talking about Boston sports? Boston sports are probably the most listened to sports ever, uh, arguable at least. And, um, I would always tell people it's not it's not able to be authenticated. It's not able to be put in the list of, yes, des- definitely, that's exactly what happened. A ghost spoke to us and told us that they're in Boston. But if you listen to something like the Echo Vox, it's 15,000 plus sound bites. That's it. That just sounds like blip, 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 blip the entire time. And it doesn't make any sense. There are no words that are programmed. And I've spoken to the creator of it who actually has broken down the science for me and has told me that he has no idea why this works the way that it does. But when you listen to it and you hear a word or you hear a sentence, there is literally no way that it can possibly make that because it's not programmed to do so. So I like to use that, but I also like to use what I mentioned before was the Estes method, but with a twist on it because I'm a little bit different than everybody else. The Estes method was created by Connor Randall and Carl Pfeiffer and Michelle Tate at the Estes Park Stanley Hotel years ago. And the idea was to take away the senses, take away the guesswork of what was going on. So if you sat there and you were blindfolded, and and I've heard this referred to as the double blind method, which I believe was even before the Estes method. So people have been experimenting with this for a long time. But you put your headphones on, you're connected to a spirit box, or I like to connect to an echo box. And you put a blindfold on, you have no idea what the people around you are saying, doing, or asking. So if you come out with something that matches up with somebody in the room asking a question, we don't know how that happens. And that's what I like to do. But mixing my abilities in with it, I've had some really profound, almost eerie encounters that I can't explain. Um, 
recently I was with Scott Porter and Tim Shaw up in Little Traverse Bay, Michigan, where I was sitting there and doing this session for what I thought was the location that we were in. It kind of turned into almost like a trance session, which I haven't done in years. And it was directly giving Tim Shaw information about another location that he was doing heavy research on that I had no idea about. I was just spitting out this information. It was coming a lot faster. It felt a lot different. And when I took my headphones off and I was pulled out of it, he said, you have no idea what you just talked about, did you? It turns out that the owner of that location was actually in the the basement of the exact house that I was in at that moment. And I had no idea. So somehow I channeled in information that the two of them were needing to know to validate what they were working on. So I think it's really fascinating when those things happen, but it's also to me, I don't want to say scary because it's not a scary thing. This actually like, I love this. This is what I live for. This is what I do. And if I was able to provide them with information that either validated or gave them some type of uh, direction or comfort or whatever it might be, then that's great. But at the same time, I was the voice for the dead. I was that liaison for them to pass on this information that they needed and that the dead needed to get across. So I love it, but it's it's kind of freaky to think about that, you know, there's no time, space or or rules there when it comes to the location that you're sitting in. They came through loud and clear to people that were sitting right there that were far away from the location. The location was in New York. We were in Michigan. So it was actually really fascinating. So let's go back and let's talk about your childhood. Now, it's kind of interesting. You had kind of a unique psychic childhood because you grew up in a family where I think your father was a ghost hunter and your mother was a medium. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely the childhood that I don't think anybody else experienced, that's for sure. It seems like the best family to be born into it, you know, where you not have to explain stuff. They just get it, you know, and they can give you the support earlier on. And I guess, you know, looking at your bio, I mean, your family genealogy goes back to the Mayflower and your this is kind of generations in your family with this mystic ability. What was it like for you as a child when you realized you had this capability? Did you discover it yourself and ask your parents or did they tell you about it and then you discovered it afterwards? So I hope you have a good three hours for the whole story, but I'll try to (laughs) break it down as easy as I can. That's great. Well, three episodes. That's awesome. That's good. Right, right. (laughs) Part one, part two, part 17. So growing up, I was born into this family. Uh, My mom is actually the one that has the gift and I can trace it back in her family for about 10 generations. That 10th generation my 10th grade grandparents are John and Priscilla Mullins, who were the first pilgrims off the Mayflower. And it was his either son or uncle, and I can't remember right now, that was John Alden Jr. was accused in the Salem witch trials. And I have you know ties to Salem. I didn't know any of that probably until my late teens, I want to believe. When you say connections to the witch trials, how so? On the accused end, on the other side, or, or what, what were the connections that you had? No, my my actual family member is accused in the Salem Witch Trials, John Alden Jr. Okay, thank you. So he was captured, and then he escaped, and then captured again, and then um, was not put to death because that's when everything started to unravel at that point. So I've had a connection to Salem my entire life. Like I was a toddler going to the uh, library with my mother and trying to take out books on the Salem Witch Trials at like three years old which would make no sense. I've always had an obsession with it. I've been able to travel to Salem for many years and experience it. But uh, more recently, I've had the 
opportunity and the honor to study under Lori Cabot in her temple, which is really fascinating and once in a lifetime opportunity. Who's the official witch of Salem, right? She's like the 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 witch. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. So she's phenomenal as a teacher. I am definitely a complete nerd and I love to have as much knowledge as possible going forward to help as many people as I can. But rewinding back to my childhood, I was the way that I am from the minute I was born. I grew up in a house that was built in 1792, and it was part of the Underground Railroad. So growing up with spirits and being able to communicate with spirits was an everyday thing for me. Like I said, and I mentioned before, my earliest memories were about 18 months old, and I used to sit up in bed every night, and this man would walk across my bedroom and say goodnight to me every single night. And he was an intelligent spirit. You know, I spoke back and forth with him. It wasn't just a residual recording. It was definitely, you know, he would come and say goodnight. He was very polite. And um, I nicknamed him Sir Simon because I thought from that really old movie, The Canterville Ghost, um, that all ghosts were named Sir Simon. It reminds me of when my brother and I would go out to the garden and name every snail that we found in the garden, Steve, you know, because you could only come up with so many (laughs) names. So I would go through this whole thing of, you know, I call them all Sir Simon, but that led my dad to believe that, you know, he let me watch a scary movie too early. My mom knew what was going on, but my dad is uh, a Vietnam vet, you know, very black and white, like old school Marine Corps. There's, there's no in between. There's no gray area. He was always looking for the black and white of anything to do with ghosts and history. So my love of history, my nerdiness, and my fascination with the afterlife definitely comes from him. My grandparents owned a travel agency and my father was able to travel the world after he got home from Vietnam. And everywhere he went, he would look for ghosts. He would find the ghost stories. He'd find the haunted places. And he had a camera with him all the time. You know, we're talking 60s, 70s that had infrared film in it. So he had all these pictures from uh, his travels that I found when I was itty bitty, probably preschool age. And they looked funny to me because they were infrared photos. And I would always ask him like, why does this look so weird? He's like, oh, I was just looking for ghosts. So that's how I grew up. That was normal. However, I get sent to Catholic preschool. So being dropped off at Catholic preschool every day at the age of four, uh, when kids are most likely to talk about everything and anything possible, uh, my mom used to drop me off every single day. And say, you know, go ahead, honey, you know, have a great day. Don't tell the other kids what color they are because I could see auras. Don't tell them who's around them or what's going on. You know, try not to get kicked out. I'll pick you up at 2.30. Goodbye. Love you. (laughs) Every day. And, you know, it was the early, early 90s. So at that time, you dealt with a lot of judgment and hatred when it came to things like that. You know, we don't talk about those things. You know, meanwhile, at home, I'm dealing with things like telepathy and, you know, telekinesis and I was this kid that was just wide open dealing with, you know, spirits and telling people things about themselves. And I couldn't do that outside of the house. So then it kind of turned into, all right, it's only okay here. But my mom from an early age up until, gosh, even I want to say probably until I was about 19 uh, would tell me like, there's no ghosts in the house. It's fine. Go to sleep. And, you know, you want to believe the people that raise you, that nurture you, that love you. But at the same time, I was experiencing all of these things happening in the house and I knew that they were happening and I would go to her with it and she would tell me, it's okay, it's all right, you know, go to sleep, there's no ghosts. She has the gift as well, but wants nothing to do with it. So 
I was kind of on my own. And at the same time, my grandmother, who was her mother, had it as well. She nurtured it for me and with me up until the age of seven when she passed away. So everything kind of stopped at that point. You know, I lost one of the most important people of my lifetime at seven years old. And everything kind of went haywire from there because things started to kick in. I was able to see my grandmother and speak to her on the other side. And at the same time, she wasn't here physically. So that was really tough for me. And at seven years old was when I really understood what death was. I had no idea up until the age of seven that I was talking to dead people. I had no reason to. I had no reason to understand, you know, what death was up until that point. You know, I have her physically one one moment and then I have her see through the next, which is the best way to describe it in a seven-year-old's mind. So it was very odd to me and kind of a slap in the face of reality to really understand. How quickly did she come to you after she passed? Was it like days, weeks? It was immediately. It was immediately. Okay. She stood at the foot of my bed every single night for weeks and talked to me. And I would relay messages back and forth between her and my mother as if it were normal. But that was my life. That was something that I understood. That is something that um, anybody that comes to me now and talks about, like I can absolutely say, okay, I'm an expert in that because I've been dealing with it for 32 years. You mentioned you had a brother. How many siblings do you have? Is it just you and a brother or? Yeah, just us. Okay. Is your brother, is he about your age? Did he have the similar type type of capability or was he kind of shut off from this sort of thing? So he's three years younger. He definitely has something. From what I've learned, at least through my research, it's only one woman per generation that I can trace back 10 generations that have the gift as strong as I do, my mother does, my grandmother does. My grandmother had sisters that had nothing. My mom has a sister that has nothing. I have female cousins that have nothing. But my brother, I think, growing up in the environment with my mom and myself and a house that was 230 years old, I think it definitely opened up something. He's able to experience things. He's had plenty of experiences. He's actually had experiences at places that I have the exact same thing when we're there at two separate times, which is really interesting. It's not as strong as mine, and I, he wants nothing to do with it, and he'll never do anything with it. But he actually hates it. So like, I've gotten so many text messages at five o'clock in the morning that say, like, please make it go away. <laughs> oh, my God. So he he can't stand it. Hey, I don't even know if he's been on a ghost hunt with me officially. Like he's checked out places with me, but I don't think he's ever sat there and like, you know, full-blown ghost hunted. You mentioned kind of it it's passed down to generations. Is it kind of a DNA thing? It's embedded in your DNA, do you think, or how does someone get this capability? I don't know. I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you because I just don't think that there's enough research out there. Because, you know, you have people that come out of the woodwork every single day and claim that they have abilities. I don't believe every single one of them. You know, certain traumatic experiences, such as like a near-death experience, can definitely set off abilities within someone. Even scientifically speaking, people can go through a traumatic experience and wake up with a completely different accent than they had before, being able to speak a completely different language than they could before. So different things like that can set things off. But I I know that there's uh, institutes on psychical research that are really studying whether or not there's a DNA or a gene that connects this sort of thing to um, hereditary throughout family members. So it is very possible because I know my grandmother had it. I know her mother did. I know her mother. I know the person before that. I traced it back to each one. And I actually have documentation from like the 1700s of where my grandmothers were practicing this. And they were all hiding behind organized religion. So they were definitely practicing psychics, mediums, healers, and witches. 
Hello listeners, I want to play a game. But first, a disturbing interruption to our podcast. Whoa, you must be the new roommate. Uh, what's your name? Annabelle. Hi, Annabelle. Uh, what are you doing on my Allswell mattress? I need to possess it. Yeah, hey, look, I get it. Allswell mattresses are the best. Its hybrid mattress technology gives you the comfort of memory foam with the support of individually wrapped coils, all at a really great price. Allswell. Yeah, you got it. You can even try it for 100 nights, risk-free. And if you're not satisfied with the sleep that you're getting, simply ship it back. Plus, every Allswell mattress comes with a 10-year limited warranty. So if you ever have any problems, you don't have to worry about being stuck in bed hell. There's only one problem. You need to get your own. Oh, and you get free shipping on your first Allswell mattress simply by following the link in the show notes. It helps support the podcast. Never be afraid of a good night's sleep. Allswell. So you, you you sound like a real student of the of the craft. I mean, it didn't just happen to you and you kind of molded it, you know, do it yourself taught, but you seem like a real student that you've researched and studied a lot of stuff too as well. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. You grew as you grew older and then you went through high school, then college, I guess, and then did you when did you like publicly outside of the of the family start sharing your skills did you start as a ghost hunter and then revealed it you know or was it did you come in saying i have this capability so around the time that i was 15 i sat my mother down and you know i tell people a lot that deal with kids with abilities that when they get to the point of like puberty age your entire scientific body like hormones and in levels in your brain and everything like that change your entire body changes. Your entire body changes actually every seven years. But around that, you know, it becomes almost impossible for them to control. And I work with a lot of parents that deal with that now. So around the time that I'm 15, I'm in the middle of high school. Nobody likes high school. I don't care who you are. <laughs> and I'm dealing with, you know, everyday high school stuff. I want to be a normal kid so bad, but all of these things are happening to me around me and I'm becoming more and more aware of them and trying to stuff them down as best as possible, trying to go through everyday life, trying to just hang out with friends, make friends, whatever it might be. And I remember, I think my boyfriend at the time and my best friend at the time would notice things. You know, people that would come to my house, I'd have to hide the fact that my house was super haunted from everybody. Kids that would come through the neighborhood would be like, that's the haunted house, (laughs) just because it looked old and spooky. So I really, you know, had my work cut out for me as far as trying to be normal. I remember, you know, little things happening where like the people closest to me understood, but I always made them swore to secrecy. And I was really interested when I, when I tell you I loved this stuff my entire life. Like I was the kid in elementary school that was sitting there with like, I think it was called the weird almanac. I held up in front of my, my textbooks in the middle of class because I just wanted to learn more about ghosts and the supernatural. I didn't care about schoolwork. Even though I was an excellent student, it just bored me. So, you know, I was that kid that could go to school, photographic memory and ace a test without even studying because it's just how my brain operated. But I just felt like time was better spent studying about ghosts. Terrible. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. 
but it's hard it's hard to find that stuff even yes. in the 90s man i love that stuff when i was growing up too which is before you like 15 years or so but it was hard to find that back then now you can you know so it's uh if you could where would you go and dig this stuff up would it be the library the library okay yep the library you know any any book about ghosts it didn't matter whether it was hans holzer or it was a simple you know kids ghost story book whatever it might be but it was always in this like teeny tiny little section of the library that nobody wanted to visit in a really dark corner. Two books. Right. Yeah. And that was it. So, yeah. you know, I started that way, but I also grew up with stories being relayed to me of generations past. You know, my family from Ireland would come over and I remember sitting on a farmer's porch and rocking chairs, listening to generations before me tell me folklore stories of ghost stories in, in Ireland and spirits, fairies, fey folk uh, leprechauns, whatever it might be. Quick question, because I was thinking this while you were saying this. So fairies and leprechauns, there's a place in New York called Lilydale. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yes. Have you ever heard of Lilydale? Absolutely. Okay. So spiritual. Okay. So I've been there. I went a couple of times. Great place. And they have like a fairy trail. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like a trail where it's called a fairy trail. Or I've heard of it. Yes. And people actually pick up. I've seen some actually pretty cool pictures, by the way. It's surprising. What is your take on fairies and leprechauns? Is that something that's just another name for an orb or, or a, a, an apparition? Or what is your thought on that? <laughs> Do you have another three hours for that section of the show? I love it. This could be <laughs> six episodes. Be um, so you're asking someone that's literally like three quarters Irish uh, what they think about leprechauns and fairies and Irish folklore. So that's uh, that's something that was embedded in me since I was a child. I I'm a true believer, a firm believer that every story of folklore has some backstory to it, no matter what. Whether it's what people portray on a photo at St. Patrick's Day in a card at CVS, or it's something else, there is truth to everything. I've been able to see fairies since I was a, a kid, since I was a toddler. And it's funny because I went a long time without seeing them. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, I started to see them again. Around the time that she was probably about two, she started to point them out as well. So I know that she has the same gifts that I do. I've yet to make it over to Ireland to experience anything there yet. But when you sit at a table across from a bunch of people from Ireland and you start talking ghost stories and you see their expression and the the look of fear in their eyes because they experience things so much differently over there. You know that these stories are real. You know that these things legitimately scare them because it's just a respect that they have for the supernatural, which is not found many places in the world. You know, speaking to them about banshees, I've heard banshee screams and I didn't know what the heck it was until it was explained to me because it was very real and very terrifying. Is it different over there? I know you haven't been there, but I mean, is it different that it's like cryptids here, Bigfoot and all these different, you know, all these different versions of of cryptids out here and it's fairies and leprechauns. So they have a lot of cryptids over there too, or is it just a different type of paranormal experience? I haven't heard any Bigfoot stories, but I think every country has their own stories of different types of cryptids or what you would consider any type of creature that would be have to be put in that category because they don't really fit in any other category. Same thing as like a fairy can be considered an elemental, but an actual elemental spirit that can't really be put into any other category ends up being in the elemental category. But they have their own 
I'm going to call them creatures because I don't really know what else to call them because there's so many different things that are very specific to um, Ireland. But if you want to talk like, you know, cultural wise, every single country in the world has their own cast of characters that they're known for or cast of creatures. So uh, my boyfriend and I spend a lot of time in Hawaii and even experiencing the Hawaiian people and their fear and respect of the supernatural is very similar to what I grew up with on the Irish side and being there and being amongst everything. Like when you talk supernatural to them or to the Irish, they don't think you're crazy. They think the people that don't believe in it are the crazy ones because they know it's real and you know, you don't have to prove anything to them. They already have the belief, but the fear and the respect for it as well. You have a very impressive resume on different TV shows. Can you give us kind of the rundown on some of the shows you've been on? Absolutely. So I've been able to work on camera for the original Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters for one episode and on, well, originally on TLC's Kindred Spirits, which aired on Destination America and then again on Travel Channel. So I did three episodes for Kindred Spirits on seasons one and season two, and I've been able to work behind the scenes as a consultant for other shows. So I worked on, um, I don't want to say worked, but I helped out with because I didn't want to be on camera for season one of Haunted Towns on, I think, I don't even know where it aired originally, maybe Travel Channel, maybe Destination America. And I've worked behind the scenes for other ones as well, just to kind of give my input on how things should be properly portrayed. So I've been able to work in TV for a little while now, and I absolutely did not want anything to do with any type of fame or recognition for what I do because I'm really shy at heart. Anybody that knows me knows that I am definitely an introvert, but being able to have that platform and now have that network, I'm able to reach as many people as I am now and hopefully will reach many more people in the future to help them with any type of issues that they have going on or guide people onto the path that they should be on. So I've dealt with many people as far as like, hey, I need a reading to, hey, I have no idea how to guide my child that has abilities to, hey, I want to commit suicide. And as crazy as that entire spectrum is, I've been able to help people for those things along with everything in between and beyond. So I think my favorite work that I did was probably with Amy and Adam on Kindred Spirits. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I didn't know that I was signing up to be on TV until the end of the conversation that I had with Amy, where she just reached out to me and said, hey, can you help Adam and I with something? And I didn't realize that they had greenlit their own TV show. So I had a little bit of a panic moment, but my friend Tim Weisberg had talked me out of backing out of it. And it was really interesting. Uh, It was my first experience with filming something far away from home. I had to drive three and a half hours south to Connecticut and meet a random BMW in the garden center of a Walmart and then follow that BMW to a random uh, neighborhood and then pull up behind another car and put a mic on and then somebody else had to drive my car and they disoriented me completely. Boy, that's a that's a real leap. That's a real leap of faith doing that. Oh, right? yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I was and actually- And you were by yourself? I was yeah. by myself. I remember uh, Jeff Belanger called me when I was meeting up with the random BMW at Walmart and he was like, what is happening? I'm like, I don't know. Um, so it was really funny, but uh, now I can say it was really funny, but at the time I was really kind of unsure, terrified of what to expect. So, you know, the, 
the guy that was driving my car said, okay, like he got the okay, go. So he pulled around the corner, stopped in front of this house and was like, okay, go. And I get out of the car and I walked up and Amy and Adam greeted me. All these TV cameras are pointing at me. And they said, are you ready? And Amy looked right at me and said, do you need a minute? And I said, please, because I literally had just gotten off like the highway. You know, it was like 10 minutes since I had gotten off the highway and driven a car. And, uh, I stood there and they just stared at me and then she's like, okay, you ready? I'm like, that wasn't really a lot of time to decompress, but sure, let's go. Normally I kind of go through this little bit of a process to like ready myself to read and I wasn't able to do that. So yeah, I walked into the house and I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is a really like odd, empty house. Like people don't usually live in empty houses. I didn't realize until after it aired, Destination America aired a special version that had these little like bubbles that popped up to give like fun facts Yeah, that they actually had a cleaning crew come in and clean out the entire house and remove all personal items from the house. So that way I, I was not tipped off about anything. So I thought that was actually really cool. The executive producer. They had a budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a ghost show with right. a budget. That's crazy. The, the executive producer of that episode actually um, apologized to me way after and like apologized to me through a friend as well and said, please tell her I said, I'm sorry for torturing her the way that I did, but I'm so glad that I did because doing that episode, I had no idea what to expect. I walked downstairs. I immediately found a spirit. I started talking to him. I walked outside. I found another one. I immediately started talking to him. I was thinking to myself logically the entire time, like this is, this is a disaster. Like they're going to cut this entire thing out because I was so, I think, terrified of the process because I'd never experienced the like rapid fire, go, go, go before. Yeah. And they sat me down at the end and they were like, yeah, so what you talked about, the episode is actually originally called the shoebox murder. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what it's reformatted into now for Travel Channel if it um, airs again, but I think they tried to keep it close to that name because it was it becoming known for that. What year was that? Oh, gosh. I, I don't remember what year it, it it was originally season one, episode two. You mentioned Jeff Belanger because he's like the research guy for every ghost. He was in my documentary, too, and he was... He's the research guy for every uh, every ghost adventure. So was he involved in Kindred Spirits too, or was he just a friend that kind of talked to you when you're going down there and knowing what you're going through? Oh, no. He, he wasn't involved in production. Uh, Jeff and I have been friends for probably about a decade. I actually used to work for him and Tim Weisberg with their company, Legend Trips. He just happened to call me that day, and I happened to be driving down to Connecticut to film an episode. Oh, okay. Got it. Yep. So the shoebox murder episode, uh, I was completely expecting nothing to come out of it. I wasn't really sure because of how fast everything was going. And Amy said, well, do you want to know, you know, once I was done, do you want to know everything? And I said, sure. And she started to show me documentation because she's very big into research. And that's one of the reasons why I loved working with her of these historical documents of a murder that happened right behind the house where I was pointing at talking to the spirit that was telling me that he dumped a body. Everything that I said matched up to including the actual location of this murder that had happened. I think it was like a hundred and I want to say around 150 years to the date that I was standing in that yard, which was really kind of freakish for me. Like I remember standing there completely shocked, like, oh my God, everything I said is historically documented and that's one of the things that um, they weren't picking up in any type of research that they were doing, but I was able to kind of put that piece in for them. It was really shocking to me and really interesting that it had happened and it became really well known. Actually, if I talk about this in lectures, I always have one person that shouts out the actual amount of years that it was to me because they talked about it on the show. But 
It was a really interesting first experience on TV. I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad it happened the way that it did. And I was able to do that with Amy and Adam because it was very comforting. They made everything so easy as far as, you know, working goes as a medium. So I was able to do a couple more episodes with them. And I, I loved every episode that I did because it they were all so different from each other. In another episode, I was able to help a girl who was much younger, very early teens, with any type of abilities that she may or may not have had and kind of guide her a little bit and and help the family out because that family was sleeping in shifts thinking that a ghost was trying to light their house on fire. So we were able to really bring some closure to them. And that's exactly why I do what I do is to help not only the dead, but the living. It sounds like what you kind of get a, a really a kick out of doing is the mystery side of it. We're going into a place and using the history for ghosts to solve mysteries in the present. Have, have you done that on a, a lot of your paranormal investigations? So it depends on a lot of investigations that I do now are with the public. So it's not really focused toward that. But in the past and helping people, whether it be the TV shows that I did or I investigated privately for a really long time, I've investigated with a lot of different groups. I've investigated for a lot of different reasons. And one of the most important things to me was helping to rewrite history, was helping to bring to light things that were missing or things that were lost or just giving that voice to those that were misunderstood or their voice was lost. That's kind of what I'm known for and also where where my love lies, I guess is a fair way to say it. So I've been able to work with author Andrew Lake out in Rhode Island, and he brought me to a place where there was a mystery. It was a legend. He knew that the legend wasn't true. The spirit that people were seeing were was being confused with a different legend in the next town over. I went there and I told him, you know, what I saw and what the woman was doing. And he said, oh, my God. He goes, that's not the woman that everybody thinks it is. We went back and he found this little blurb of an article that he had to dig hard for. And we were actually able to tell everybody exactly who the ghost was. And we figured out the mystery because everybody assumed she was someone else. But she was hanging around because everybody just didn't know who she was and what happened to her. So it was very cool without giving 100% details because I'm not sure about family members living or anything like that. And I don't want to upset anybody. But it was very interesting to be able to go back and say, like, here's a historical document. And that's what I love is going through a walkthrough of a historical place or where history's happened and have someone that has already done research, uh, you know, historian. That's why I worked with Andrew. That's why I worked with Amy. That's why I worked with Scott Porter, because they have already done the historical research and they can actually match up the dates, the, the names and the information that I have with historical documents or piece things together to tell the correct story. And at the same time, the spirits are being heard and their stories being heard. So you must really love the Dave Schrader show, the Hans Holzer Files, right? Is that because that's kind of what he does, right? He goes back and he looks at the old Hans Hosler cases and then kind of reopens them and tries to get some closure on some of some of them. It seems like a you'd be a good fit for that show. I actually have never watched it. I don't really watch a lot of paranormal TV. I think just because I know what happens behind the scenes on a lot of the shows that are out there. I don't know what's real and what's not, and I kind of just focus on what I know as far as the stuff that I've worked on and uh, my my close friends have worked on, and I know I kind of stick to to what I know is to be real, and I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm just saying that I don't really watch a lot of TV anyways, yeah, and you live it. <laughs> I kind of live this every day, so you know I don't really need to yeah. watch it any other time. So one question I have is, is there any place you've been that's totally freaked you out and been the one scary place you would not go back No, not at all, actually. I think the only thing that truly scares me is being in a place where whether the building is unsafe or there's really large bugs or the living is an issue. 
So, you know, I've been to places before where there's squatters or there's people that are doing drugs or things that they're not supposed to be doing, you know, hidden in some type of building and they're not supposed to be there. I know other people that have had the same experiences, uh, friends of mine. So that type of thing scares me. Like any true like living danger scares me. In Hawaii, I went to a place and I was fine. I was with people that could have taken care of it, but the threat of wild pigs was there. That's not really something I want to put myself in the middle of. I can't really do a reading or feel anything in the area when my actual fear of the living or a wild living animal is there. So that's a concern, but anything that I've ever come across supernaturally, whether it be something that someone would consider demonic or whether it's something that is just negative or cranky or whatever, um, that stuff doesn't scare me because I've I've experienced it since a very young age. So and my first you know technical demonic experience was at seven years old. So that stuff I've had plenty of time to get used to. It does not scare me. You'll probably get like, like I don't do jump scares. I don't do haunted corn mazes or like haunted houses where people jump out at you. Like that stuff, you'll get a rise out of me because I'm not expecting it. But as far as like actual supernatural, none of that scares me. I want to know and experience as much as possible to not necessarily find answers uh, for others, but because, you know, that was everybody's answer for a long time. I just want answers. I want answers, but at the same time, I want to experience as much as I can across every culture, across the entire world, just to have the knowledge. I love to learn. A forever student is what I say to people all the time. So when you come across a sexist, old kind of, ah, woman shouldn't be here type of spirit or a demon or whatever, do you just kind of put a wall, protective wall over you or block them out? Or what do you do to, because that that makes some people run for the hills. It doesn't make me run for the hills. That usually makes me laugh. And I know that's terrible, but I've experienced it. Even something as simple as walking into a Masonic call as a woman, people or spirits, I should say aren't usually very welcoming to that because you're not supposed to be there. I still get the answers that I need and I still get the information that I need, whether they like it or not. They kind of eventually either get over it or give me what I need and they're still cranky about it. I've never had anything like flat out refuse to speak to me because if you're sitting there for that long wanting to get your story across and that's your only option, you eventually give into it. I've never had anything like downright refuse or threaten me in that aspect because it's a different understanding. Now, if you're walking in without my ability, you might just aggravate what's there because you're not giving them what they need to. It's kind of like a, it's an exchange. It's a deal that you're making. So kind of think of it as almost like, like an episode of Law and Order where, you know, you're dealing with a criminal and you're making a deal with the DA for them in order to get the information you want. That's the best way I can describe it. I'm walking in there and I'm saying you can either tell your story and get the information that you need across, or I can walk out and that's not going to happen. You might be waiting another hundred years before somebody can walk in and properly do this. They eventually do speak to me. They might not like it. They might be cranky about it, but they eventually do give me the information that I'm looking for, whatever it is that they feel that they need to say. So that stuff doesn't scare me. Um, You know, I've had things that have been really angry at the fact that I'm there or really angry at the fact that I can do what I do because they want control of the spirits in the house. That's happened before too. I don't necessarily immediately go into this whole like, oh my God, I have to protect myself because I worry about that before I go in. I've been doing this long enough where I know that, you know, I don't have this crazy ritual that I do, but I know exactly what I need to do in order to stay safe. So I kind of just look at each case as case by case basis. I don't, I don't ever really know what's going on in there before I get there. You know, I don't have people warn me and say like, oh, this is supposed to be negative or this, this is this, or, you know, the spirits in the house. I go in blind all the time because I don't want to know because the information that comes out of my mouth will be authentic the entire time. 
So, okay, so let's let's go into. I'm looking at your website, and there's just like a laundry list of some cool stuff that you do, from Reiki to psychic medium to paranormal investigator. You have something called the Society with 13 as the I and the E, and you also do health and wellness. So let's just give us a touch on each one of those and how people can, you know, what you do and how people can contact you if they want to uh, be healed or or connect with a loved one. So my website is still a work in progress. So please excuse the construction that's going on there. It's it's not that bad. I just I've been looking at it. It's fine. It's just, I know you're <laughs> well, looking. not all the information is up yet. I don't have all the information up there yet. I'm supposed to be able to have you know an online way to book readings that is coming soon. I just have not had the time to set it up yet, um, and then have my website designers put it on. So I apologize for that. But I do offer psychic readings all about yourself, your past, present, future, and your guidance going forward as in phone um, reading. So you're able to connect with me on that. I don't offer mediumship readings by phone right now uh, just because life is a little bit crazy and I need a little bit more focus to do that. So that's my God honest answer. It's got to be hard. Sorry to drive. It's got to be hard doing it in person too, right? Do you not do them in person right now either during, I mean, this is being taped during the pandemic, right? Probably during the week three or four of the pandemic. Do you, are you taking any readings at all right now? So right now with mediumship readings, I'm not just because my, well, my travel schedule was absolutely insane for a while. So being able to sleep properly and be a mom at the same time, I was kind of taking time off of doing those in person. I was only offering mediumship readings at the events that I was doing. So whether that was in a seance, whether that was in a gallery reading or whether that was one-on-one, that was kind of wiping me out. And then, you know, my time at home, I was trying to keep as my time at home. So as of right now, whenever, like you said, we're in a pandemic. So whenever we're able to have even social distance events coming up, I'll be offering mediumship readings in person only. I really do prefer them in person. I like to be in a person's energy when I do it. Not to say it's not impossible to do over the radio because I have or do over the phone because I have. I've even done text message readings or Facebook Messenger or whatever it might be. It's just I prefer the face-to-face just because it's more personal for them. So who knows with this pandemic, we're kind of rerouting everything right now. So I might start to offer them via phone soon, but I have not gotten around to even putting the psychic ones up there that I had on forever. So stay tuned for that. I promise it's coming. Um, As far as Reiki goes, I have been a Reiki master teacher for about 13 years now. So my first and foremost love with Reiki is teaching it just because I absolutely love the entire idea of it. It was something that I grew up with as well. My mom was a Reiki practitioner. She was a nurse and she fought for it in healthcare. I now teach it as often as I possibly can. I've had to, again, reroute things because of the pandemic. So I'm actually offering my first ever hybrid courses with Reiki, which will be up on my website soon, but you can find that on my Facebook pages or actually all of my social media. And I'm teaching half online And then the other half has to be completed in person within a year of taking the online course. So that's kind of different and new for me, but it's something that I've wanted to try to do for a long time now. Traveling the world for the past two years and meeting people everywhere, they've been begging me for Reiki classes and try to figure out how to do that. So if I can reach more people, I'm definitely willing to change up my own little comfort bubble to expand it and help as many people and reach as many people as possible. The society is something that I started last year. And it's still a work in progress, but it's a private group that um, the information that's on my website is actually from an old post that's incorrect. And that's something that I have to rewrite, but it's a private group where you have 24 access, 24 seven access to me for anything. Like I teach things in there. I do um, exclusive posts in there, exclusive videos, exclusive classes, first to know 
info on everything that I'm doing. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's a fan club because that's what people have referred it to, but it's not. It's if you want to come and learn everything that I do, or if you want exclusive access to me to ask questions or to learn different things, or you want to just kind of follow my life on a more exclusive level. If I go to a historic place, like I'll film a little, you know, something and put it in there, or I'll go live during like my gallery readings or my seances. So you can kind of like watch from home and see what it's like yourself. That's kind of where all that stuff goes. So everything that I don't really post publicly goes in that group. By the way, this is actually, of all your services so far, this is probably one of the, the prime times to do something like that, right? Because people are home and they're looking, they're on their computers and they're looking for something to take them out of the now and something of a new interest, a new capability or some type of diversion. That seems like a great thing. Is it correct on your website? Is it a monthly cost or is it the annual cost to do that? Yep. It's a, it's a monthly cost of $13 a month. It's something that, like I said, it's been up for a year, actually. I think I announced it on my birthday last year. My birthday's Monday. So yeah, it's almost been a year. I announced it while I was in Hawaii. Happy birthday. Thank you. So, but again, it's it's a work in progress. My travel really took away from it for a little while. And now, like I said, all the like little videos that I would go to a place and kind of record something. Some of those places are closed down right now because we're in a pandemic and we're all supposed to be quarantining. So I've been trying to be good and stay in the house as much as possible. A lot of the stuff that I had planned for it coming up got canceled, which I was super bummed about. But I'm hoping to be full force with that as soon as everybody can really do something. But I'm trying to come up with different content to put on there now. But you have content already, correct? You probably have a library of good stuff archived already that they can access as well. I have some stuff. Yep. Yep. I've changed things up on there a little bit. I've deleted some things. So I definitely have to put more back in there. But I, like I said, I had a little bit of a different vision of where it was going to go. And then everything kind of shut down with this whole coronavirus thing. So so bear with me as things change. You know what might be timely too is your health and wellness. You want to kind of talk about that branch that you do as well, health and wellness products? Yeah. So that's actually something that I've done for almost 10 years now. It's um, a company that I am an independent distributor for. And it's something that I stand behind pretty firmly because it provides people with products that can help be a solution for different things. So like we have immunity products right now for people that are worrying about keeping their immune systems up during a pandemic. We have stuff like skincare and weight loss. And I think the stuff that really you know hits home with me the most is the stuff that is just to make yourself healthier, to be at your maximum health level. Something as simple as like super greens and super reds and organic celery every single morning, probiotics, you know, different things like that. So if anybody's interested in stuff like that, you can definitely reach out to me on my website. I don't think the link is up on the website right now. So you can just email me. I've definitely helped like thousands of people over the past 10 years with different types of things when it comes to those products. So that's definitely something that I incorporate in my Reiki practices or, you know, I take with me on the road everywhere. I've heard you talk about body wraps before. Just like give us like a thirty second thing about body wraps because I think you're, you're you're Tim Weisberg. There's some there's some show I watched with you and him. He was a fan of that, or someone was. Could you just talk about body wraps for a quick second and just give us a, an idea what that is? Yeah. So the body wraps were actually what got me into the company, but the company's evolved so much since then. But it's actually like a, a patch that is it's a, a wide patch um, that you can put anywhere on your body from the neck down, and it tightens, tones, and firms your skin. So that's something that definitely interested me in the company at first, because anybody that's ever been to the gym that loses weight and has loose skin or has had a child and you can go to the gym every single day, but it's not going to fix any type of skin. That's something that does. And that's something that um, I was really passionate about in the beginning because it was helping so many people. And then again, it evolved from there. And now we, ha- we still have them, but we have so many other products that have just 
really helped a lot of different areas for people. You know, we had keto products, we have health products. So I like helping people, you know, mind, body, spirit, and soul. And if I can have something for every one of those categories, like I teach in my Reiki classes, that's something that I want to do. And that really helped with the physical aspect, you know, healing from the inside out. So I think the last question, I always do this to everybody. I always say that I'm going to end on something and I had another question. My last question is when I forgot was uh, closing on where we are now, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's everybody's sense of fear is heightened. And a lot of times the paranormal feeds off of that type of anxiety. From your perspective, I mean, is your antenna being bombarded lately or what have you been picking up? And is there any piece of advice you have for people to kind of uh, stay the course and and get to the finish? So I think when this all first broke out somewhere around mid-March, I believe, because it's tough to even remember what, what day it is anymore for all of us that have been home. It was really tough because you could feel the heaviness of the world. You know, a lot of people don't deal well with change. I know I don't. People don't deal well with fear. So mix those things together and you have just this this heaviness and this uncertainty. And that was definitely something collectively you could feel. I myself, you know, it was tough to, you know, not have that breakdown, just be overly emotional because you're feeling things from other people that you know are not yours, but it's hard not to feel them. So that was tough for a little while. I have tried my best, whether it be one-on-one, whether it be a Facebook Live, whether it be, you know, in group settings on, you know, Zoom chats or whatever it might be, any way that I could get the message out that people need to take this time. I kind of relate it a little bit like a Mercury retrograde. So if you aren't familiar with Mercury retrograde, it's time where everything goes haywire, nothing goes your way. It's very frustrating. It's very defeating. But it's meant as a time to sit back and look at everything around you, reevaluate and work on things in order to come out better at the end of it all. And I'm looking at that as a giant Mercury retrograde. You know, things are happening around us that we can't control. So what we can control is our immediate surroundings. And I've noticed a lot of people lately have been saying, you know, it's not a productivity test. It's not, you know, a race to finish things or do things. You know, a lot of people are doing home improvement things. A lot of people are just working on self-care right now because that's all that they can control. Whether they're going for a walk, which they have not done in 10 years, whether they're you know exercising regularly, whether they're trying to eat better because they were constantly eating you know McDonald's on the go, not mentioning any names or myself, um, but you know <laughs> cooking at home. Yeah, I doubt. That. I do. It's bad. Um, that's my go-to if I don't have any time and I'm out on the road because that's usually what you can find in really strange little towns, you know, that you have to fly into. Oh yeah, or airports. Yeah. But, you know, whether you're taking time to just spend time with family that you live with, that you are never with before, you know, working on little projects, coming up with new ideas, this is stuff that we can't control, but we can't focus on the negative either. So everybody panics about it. And yes, it's definitely something that we should be cautious about. But as long as we're washing our hands, we're wearing masks when we go out, we're mindful of others and, you know, our surroundings and ourselves, then we're going to be okay. What's going to happen is going to happen and we don't have any control, but the world is kind of resetting itself right now. So if we can come out of this all at the end of it better than we were before, I truly believe that the world is going to be changed 100% from what we knew it as. And that's scary for some people, but I look at it as a positive. We're going to realize a lot of different things on this quarantine about ourselves and about other people and about the world around us, but we have to not operate out of fear and ego and just take it for what it is one day at a time. And the world's going to be a different place at the end of it all. It's going to be a better place. We're going to be more positive. We're going to treat people differently. You know, I'm hoping, and I, I 
say this, and so please take it as what it is, because nobody hoped for 9-11. I lived through 9-11. All of us did. Most of us did. Some of us might have been babies, for those that are listening. But the world was very different after that. We all came together in a different way than we had before. And it took tragedy to do that. And right now, this might not be comparable, but to me, in my lifetime, it's, it's almost on the same level. It's a different type of tragedy. It's a different type of change. It's a different type of fear. But I'm hoping that at the end of this, we can come together as we did before and see everybody as who they are, not just the hustle and bustle of everyday life, busy in the hamster wheel of life, not paying attention, taking things for granted. You know, I'm hoping that people have enough time to stop and smell flowers that are growing right now. And that's something that I've, I strive for in all of my Reiki classes that I've taught for 13 years to teach people that way of life. But I'm even looking out my window every single day. I'm seeing neighbors that I've never seen before. I'm seeing people I've never seen before. They're going for walks. They're getting out. They're doing something different. And I'm hoping that people don't lose sight of that because it is a scary time, but it doesn't have to be scary. You know, just control what's around you and worry about yourself and your loved ones. And that's it. And for those that are listening that are essential workers and you can't control this and you can't control that, keep a positive mind because it's the only thing that's going to get you through. And I know some days are really tough. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of different people. You know, I, in my household, I'm an essential person. I might not be an essential worker, but I'm the one that has to go grocery shopping. I'm the one that has to go out and pick things up and do things, you know, for my parents or my daughter or whatever it might be. My daughter's father, my ex-husband is essential. And that's scary, you know, having, you know, that back and forth that can easily spread. So I, I have all these same fears. I have the same situation, but the only thing I can do is remain positive and take care of myself and do the best of my ability because that's the only thing that I can control and hope that I'm not the one that's going to get sick. It's not my time yet to, to succumb to something like this, but live every day as it's your last, no matter what. You know, don't go to bed angry. Don't try to reconnect with people that truly belong in your life. You know, family can be toxic. Friends can be toxic. But if something silly happened, reconnect with them. This is not the time to, you know, hold on to anger or anything of that. Or even if you can't reconnect with somebody, let go of the anger. It's okay. But look at life a little bit different than you did before. Now, that's great advice. I mean, I, uh, I start every day with gratitude. I mean, I've been doing this ever since I did the documentary and I thought some dark entity attached to me. <laughs> but anyways, I do that. I try to look at the things that are positive. And you know, thank you so much. I, I know I overextended our time, but I really appreciate it, Stephanie. You did a great job and uh, learned a lot today. So thank you and uh, be well. Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to talking to you again. You've been listening to the Afraid of Nothing podcast. Please subscribe and like us on Facebook. Until next time, stay scared. Hey, you're still here? Great. Then why not listen to another episode? Visit afraidofnothingpodcast.com to peruse all the shows. That's afraidofnothingpodcast.com. And while you're there, click the coffee cup icon to buy me a coffee and leave a review. I'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming episode. And the world will know how swell you are.